Now I have the pleasure and the honor to introduce our guest speaker for today. Dr. Stephen Sprinkle is tenured as an associate professor of practical theology and has held the office of director of field education and supervised ministry since 1994 at Bright Divinity School, located on the campus of Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. A native of North Carolina, he is an ordained minister of the Alliance of Baptists. He is the first open and out member of the Bright Divinity School faculty and the first gay scholar to be tenured in its 94-year history. His current major research project in it is the um, stories of LGBT hate crimes, uh, the victims in the United States. His book is entitled Unfinished Lives, Reviving the Memory of LGBT Hate Crime Victims in America. Dr. Sprinkle has chosen to tell the stories of 15 out of hundreds of LGBT people murdered for their sexual orientation in order to call the country to enact hate crime laws for the protection of all Americans. He and his partner of seven years, Rob Rodriguez, lives in Dallas. Let's welcome Dr. Sprinkle. Mark, thank you so much. It means a great deal to be here at Resurrection, to receive your gracious invitation and the courtesy of the pulpit from Duane, to be welcomed so well by Kristen and Bernie and Jason and all the other members of your team and my friend Steve Couch. It's great to be with you again. And this is like Old Home Week in lots of ways in uh, the narthex. I was greeted by Sharon Besner, who's a bright graduate, and I met uh, once again my good friend Pat Gordon's daughter. I just didn't know I knew so many of you, by golly. I better be careful, hadn't I? And it's wonderful to be able to greet you in the name of uh, Bright Divinity School, our 300 students, our 30 faculty and staff, up the road a bit. Like we like to say in Fort Worth, I love Fort Worth. (laughs) And we want you to come see us. Bright um, may not be heaven, but we've come a long way. It is is the only uh, seminary divinity school in the southwestern United States and a good swath of the southern United States that has a thoroughgoing non-discrimination policy toward gay, lesbian, bisexual, and now transgender folk because our trustees in April have just enacted uh, an important addendum which gives uh, protection to uh, persons for gender expression and gender identity. We look forward to our sister institutions all across the South and Southwest following that lead. (laughs) Let me tell you that uh, I am deeply honored to be here at Resurrection and eager to meet you in uh, the luncheon context following where I'm able to talk a little bit more about this subject that I'm so passionate about. In addition to the uh, wonderful scripture read to you by Kedrick, let me lift up these words from Isaiah 56.5. God speaks, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Let us pray. Send down upon us, O God, your Holy Spirit, 
especially upon these stammering lips, that you, O God, may be honored, that your word may have free course among women and men. These things we pray through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A monument to a murdered gay man became the center of controversy in Casper, Wyoming. Matthew Shepard, a 21-year-old gay person, suffered a fatal beating on the night of October the 7th, 1998. He was tied to a buck fence and left to die in the cold on a high barren prairie on the outskirts of Laramie, Wyoming. He'd been picked up at a bar by two young Laramie men, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson. After they abducted him and drove him to his killing ground, McKinney struck Matt 18 times in the head with the butt of a 357 Magnum pistol while Henderson held him. The autopsy later revealed that the back of Matt's hands were bruised and cut from trying to defend himself, and his groin was bruised from being kicked repeatedly. There was blood spatter at the crime scene for a 50-foot radius. Detective Sergeant Rob Debris, who was the lead investigator for the Albany County Sheriff's Department, said that what happened on that high dry prairie that night was unparalleled in his experience as a law professional. That was 1,000% torture, what they did to that boy, he said. Matt was targeted for robbery and murder because he was gay. It's hard to believe that it's been a decade, 10 years. On October the 12th, 1998, Matthew Shepard died in a hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado, attended by his mother, Judy, and his father, Dennis. The story of his hate crime murder made news throughout the country and around the world. If people have heard of LGBT people being bashed, this is the one story they've heard. Matt's funeral took place at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Casper, which was his family's home church, and his remains have been buried in an undisclosed location, far from the prying eyes of the public. But Matthew Shepard's spirit can find no peace. Even though McKinney and Henderson were sentenced to two consecutive life terms of peace with no hope of parole, Matt's spirit cannot find rest yet. Nor can the spirits of the literally hundreds of other LGBT women and men who have died because of ignorance and hatred in what I call a slow-rolling holocaust that touches every demographic group in America and every geographic location. But the spirits of these dead are not the only ones finding no rest. You and I cannot either if we care. For the memories of Matt Shepard and so many more of our people have become a battleground. What do you believe then would be a fitting memorial to Matthew Shepard and to the other hundreds who have died? 
One might expect a memorial to be erected to Matt, given the outpouring of grief and rage ten years ago over the circumstances of his brutal death. But the monument some people want to erect with his likeness engraved on it is no memorial. The so-called Reverend Fred Phelps petitioned and then sued the city council of Casper, Wyoming to put up a six-foot granite monument in Casper's city park with a heavy bronze plaque bearing the face of the slain University of Wyoming student and an accompanying inscription reading, Matthew Shepard entered hell October the 12th, 1998, in defiance of God's warning, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination, Leviticus 18.22. Phelps said that he wanted to put up his monument to hate in Casper because it was Matt's hometown and where Matt learned that it was, quote, okay to be gay, close quote. Shepard was not a hero, Phelps told the press. This is a great monster sin against God. It is not an innocent alternative lifestyle, and all that has come down in one little evil town called Casper, Wyoming, and we cannot ignore that. There is good news to tell about this story, and that is that the city council of Casper had the good sense to defy Phelps and his church, and that hate monument vilifying Matt was never erected. It has not been erected anywhere else in the United States, so far as I know, though Phelps has tried repeatedly in places like Topeka, Kansas, to put it up there. Now, the point is not that we can draw a sigh of relief and go back to our everyday lives because no hate monument has been built somewhere in Wyoming or in Kansas. The question that concerns me, and I hope will concern you, is how long will we endure the murder of our people, the killing of our friends, relatives, and lovers, just for being who they naturally were? For I am confident that God is calling us to become a living memorial to all those who have died so needlessly. You know, uh, if you look for a record of the apprehension of the murderers of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans, you won't find that record because that killer has never been found. These two women were murdered on the Appalachian Trail near Luray, Virginia. The only way that they were found is that Lolly's dog, Todd, was wandering far afield, and park rangers became suspicious and went out looking. To this very day, almost eight years after that murder, there are no leads about who killed Julie and Lolly. And that's the way that it is for so many of these victims. We hear the story of Matthew Shepard, and it's good that we do. But if the victim has, happens to be female or a person of color 
or of a lower social class, if a person happens to have an impairment or a disability, if a person is older and no longer young and beautiful, then their stories vanish. I got into this because of the story of a Dallas person murdered. His name was Tan Nguyen. He was Vietnamese. He had fled Vietnam to escape the war. He had come to the United States, the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? He found freedom in Dallas. He and his lover, Hugh Calloway, went to Rebershawn Park, right downtown in Dallas, if you know where it is, to eat hamburgers after the bars closed. Three men picked them out, assaulted them, beat them, stripped them, shot them, believed that they'd killed both of them, but Hugh Calloway lived. And as I began to look into that story and the tremendous irony of a person who fled one war and was killed in another one here in the United States, I began to be overwhelmed to think that the earth virtually could open up underneath this young man so full of promise swallow him up and we know virtually nothing about him anymore. I cannot even find a photograph of him anywhere. I came here today to tell you that the battle is real. And though it still rages for equality for LGBT people in America, though the risks are terrible and the struggle is far from over until the spirits of our dead sisters and brothers can rest in peace, The issue is already decided. Hate will lose and love will win out, for God has given our people the guarantee that though the warfare is long and the losses are real, our place, our names, and our lives are blessed and accepted by God who loves everyone and rejects no one. In Isaiah 56... In Isaiah 56, we read, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. LGBT people have too few houses of worship like this one. Resurrection is an exception, and you know it. Here we are celebrated and accepted for the children of God we are. Here we can find the resources to forgive ourselves and to forgive others who have trespassed against us. But the vast majority of churches, mosques, and synagogues in Houston, throughout America too, exclude LGBT people and tacitly permit by their rhetoric and their teachings all manner of evil against us. 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is the most homophobic hour in American religious life. I often wonder if the churches that build welcome signs on their lawns to attract people into their buildings don't really put a note on the back of each one they build saying, some restrictions may apply. You know, the Jerusalem temple in the prophet Isaiah's day was a monument to exclusion. Laid out on top of Mount Zion, the temple was a series of concentric courtyards which were designed not to welcome all of humanity, but to keep most of humanity out. The outermost courtyard, the court of the Gentiles, was an open place. 
It was open to non-Jews and women. The next inner courtyard, however, the court of the women, excluded all Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish men. Archaeologists have actually discovered an inscription written in Greek, prominently displayed on a huge stone that could not have been missed at the entrance of the court of the women, warning all non-Jews not to enter on pain of their death. You know, I wonder, even though that is so shocking to hear and makes me angry, how much more honest it really is for them to have done that. Maybe we should suggest that to some of our sisters and brothers who want to restrict access to us. The next interior courtyard was reserved for priests. And should one approach the holy place, the sanctuary, the holy of holies where Yahweh God was dwelling, only one human being could be admitted into that space once a year. Only the high priest on the Day of Atonement was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, and when he did, he had to have a rope tied around him with his assistants outside the veil. So in case he passed out while he was in the presence there behind the veil, they who could not come in at least could winch him out, you know. Since no one else could enter the innermost sanctum of the temple... I think you can appreciate the irony of it all. The God of all people was imprisoned within walls of exclusion. An inscription warning cut into the stone warned that so-called unworthies would be killed if they transgressed the temple precincts in order to worship God. But God cannot be imprisoned in houses. God cannot be walled away from creation. God will do anything to keep on loving His children. And God will not let anything stand in the way of that love. God is a God of all people everywhere. And God intends for God's house to be a house of prayer for everybody. Because everybody is somebody. And nobody is nobody. That was Isaiah's prophecy in the 6th century BCE. That was the whole import of the meaning of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In direct contradiction to the received teachings of exclusion that Israel had used for hundreds of years to keep Gentiles out. Isaiah says that God turns to foreigners, non-Jewish people, to the poor, and to the sexually different of the age called eunuchs, and he rebuts the religion of exclusion with these words, For thus saith the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. For the ancient Israelite people To be remembered by one's family and friends past death was to live forever. They were remembered and their memories were kept evergreen in the hearts of those who loved them. For our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a meal was set in the midst of His disciples so that week by week they could remember Him, the ever-living and undying presence of a God who loves everyone and rejects no one. 
For our dead, we LGBT, LGBT people must remember and celebrate those among us who have died. They died for just being who they were, for loving whom they loved, for living as we live. Our bashed and murdered sisters and brothers must not be lost to oblivion. They must not be forgotten. And we need to learn as an entire community that the degree to which we embrace and remember our dead will give us strength and power to be able to stand in our time and honor their memory by living into the freedom that God has given us too. We must be the surprise that God intends the world to have with amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The amazing grace that is given us with courage and determination to remember them and not to forget. We have important communities around us who can teach us a lot about what it means to remember our dead because of the way that they remember theirs. African Americans all across the South experienced the period of strange fruit in which people were lynched from trees in their thousands. And African Americans remember them. They remember Medgar, and they remember Martin, and they remember four little girls who were blown up alive at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We've got a lot to learn from African Americans. We've got a lot to learn from Jewish people who will not allow us to go one step further until we remember Auschwitz and Birkenau and Bergen-Belsen and Dachau and who have stood before the world to say, ne jamais rien, never again. We've got a lot to learn from Buddhist Americans who make hundreds of thousands of colorful paper cranes folding them meticulously so that the hundreds of thousands who died in the nuclear holocaust of World War II at Hiroshima and Nagasaki will not be forgotten. Now, we, the LGBT community, must take up the promise of God for ourselves and our world and take up our responsibility to learn the names of those who have passed on among us to learn who it was that they were and to live our lives so that no one will ever have to suffer like that again. We have got... We have got to get to the point that we ourselves will never tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love without also telling the story of a powerful community of LGBT people who have been blessed by God just like anybody else, who have been graced by God just like everybody else, who have got the power within them to stand in the midst of this world and make it a better place and show love where there was no love and give peace where people refuse to do anything but violence. We have got to get to the point that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of social activism come together again for us and we do not turn away from our dead so that we remember their names. Sakia, Latona, Gunn, stabbed in Newark, New Jersey. Daniel Yakovlev found dead in his apartment this year in Boston, Massachusetts. Larry King, who went to his computer class 
in Oxnard, California in January of this year to be shot in the back of the head by a 14-year-old classmate because he gave him a valentine. Instead of fear, we must bring understanding. Instead of despair, we must bring hope. Instead of running from our past, we must tell the truth and live in love. It's Father's Day, and I cannot get off my mind the words of Dennis Shepard, the father of Matthew Shepard, on the day in which Aaron McKinney, Matthew's murderer, was sentenced. Dennis Shepard stood before the court and before the world, and he looked at his son's killer, and he offered him life. He said, you gave my son death but my wife and I are going to give you life. And so, Mr. McKinney, when you sit in your cell for the rest of your life and celebrate Christmas and your birthday and every other day, may you never forget, Matt, and may you thank him for every day you live.